Welcome to the Emerald City Hockey Podcast. Join RJ and Dylan as they discuss each week's Seattle Kraken news and top stories from around the league. Okay, RJ, I've got a little story to tell here to kick off the podcast. So last night I was out walking Afra, my wonderful dog, when I passed a house that's been having some work done. On their lawn was a lawn sign for the painting service they're using, and on said sign, they were promoting that they were a 24-hour, 7-day-a-week painting company. Now, I thought to myself two things. First, why on earth would you need a 24 by 7 painting company? The best I came up with was for office or workspaces, where the only time people aren't around is at night, so they come in and they paint overnight, and I guess hope it's dry by the time workers are back in there in the morning? I, I don't know. Uh, but the second thing I thought of was, why can this small local business afford to run their painting company 24-7 and the NHL can't seem to figure out how to upload highlights from the Kraken's preseason games? <laughs> or, or stream the games so fans like me, who are not in attendance and are cord cutters and thus didn't have access to Kong or anyone not in the area, watch the game. You know, through one means or another, I could watch every other NHL game played last night, Saturday night, but the Kraken one, that was the only one I couldn't watch, and I couldn't get any highlights or even the real-time scoring from that game on the app. It, it's been like this for all three of the games held at the local WHL Barnes, and I really don't get it. Um, on our last video we released Thursday... We got a ton of comments from fans of other teams or fans from other countries talking about how they've been watching the streams and how excited they were to watch the Kraken, how for some it's been reigniting their passion for hockey. So I wasn't just disappointed for myself, but also for all the other people who didn't get to watch the game last night. And I hope this isn't a, reg a problem in the regular season. It shouldn't be based on how all the streaming rights and everything are handled. But with the NHL, you never know. Now, I will add... Thankfully, I was able to watch the game this morning because a friend had recorded it on a DVR, so I was able to, I was able to watch the game so we could talk about it later, but still, it was, it was really disappointing last night. But now that my rant is done, RJ, you were at both the Everett game as well as the Kent game last night. What was it like to be there? Well, I could say it was certainly a much better experience than uh, trying to figure out ways to watch the game. Um, you know, I was kind of texting you throughout and I, I could tell you were having some difficulties with it. Um, but it was a great atmosphere at both venues. Um, you know, the crowds, you know, in both places, just so much energy that they brought. Um, and they really just wanted something to cheer for. They were just kind of ready to explode, you know, and, and, you know, take the roof off the building, it felt like. And, the Kraken didn't really give them a whole lot to cheer for, except in Everett at the very end. And thankfully there was that. Um, but I just want to shout out, uh, you know, the fans at, at both venues. I mean, it's just a great crowd. Yeah, all three of the games held at the WHL arenas all had, you know, certainly what seemed like electric audiences uh, from my viewpoint as a viewer. Um, we're obviously going to talk about the two games from the last two nights, uh, as well as do our full Kraken player-by-player -player breakdown for the preseason. But first, we kind of have to talk about a story that also broke last night involving Vegas goaltender Robin Leonard. Leonard took to Twitter and in a three-tweet post spoke about potential medical malpractice by multiple NHL teams. Uh, I'm going to read his three tweets real quick here. 
Is it common for workplaces to give out benzodiazepines to employees when they travel and Ambien? Should that not be done by doctors or psychiatrists? Asking for a friend. This doesn't happen in Vegas to be clear, but I know many other teams. I also have been in on other teams that do so. Uh, and then the next tweet, hashtag Philadelphia Flyers, dinosaur coach treating people like robots, not like humans. Fire these dinosaurs. Fire hashtag Vigneault. First story. I got proof. Try to shake your way out of this one. And then the final tweet. And they say Ambien is a sleeping pill. It's funny. Rehab told me that's why I didn't have REM sleep. Eight years, no REM, REM sleep. Great. But yeah, just sleeping pills. Now, real quick, uh, benzodiazepines, for those who don't know, that's stuff like Xanax and uh, Valium. They're, you know, psychoactive drugs used for anxiety or depression, um, but they are, you know, very well known to have addictive qualities and they have played roles in um, overdose deaths before. So... <laughs> RJ, he's never played for the Flyers, but Vegas did acquire Nolan Patrick this offseason, so I'm assuming the Elaine Vigneault stuff and the Flyer stuff is coming from Nolan Patrick. Uh, also, he's really he's doing this to bring attention to the Jack Eichel situation in Buffalo, where, of course, Jack Eichel is holding out and demanding a trade out of Buffalo because him and the Buffalo uh, medical team are not seeing eye to eye. Um so, you know, this kind of lends some credibility to the things Eichel's camp has been saying about not trusting the Buffalo medical staff, because I would assume some of what he's talking about here, you know, is from his time playing in Buffalo. Um, that led to actually former NHL player Daniel Carcillo to take to Twitter, backing up players' rights to seek outside medical opinions. And he accused the Chicago Blackhawks of blackballing former player Steve Montador after he sought treatment for a serious concussion outside the Blackhawks organization, keeping him away from the team through their cup run in 2013, something that Carcillo is alleging played a part in his ultimately untimely death at the age of 35. Uh, so far, these are just allegations, but we do know that former, you know, multiple former players have spoken about non-prescribed overuse of painkillers like tramadol and the negative effects it's had on their bodies, both while playing and post-retirement. Uh, we also know that as part of the NHL's drug testing program, they do not consider things like cocaine and other narcotics to be PEDs and thus do not punish players who test positive for them. In fact, four or five years ago, they came out and said roughly 20% of the league tested positive for cocaine use. Um, the NHL also tends not to drug test players during the postseason. They have the ability to do so via the CBA, but they very rarely do it as, you know, we, it's kind of understood that after an 82 game season and then the physical nature of the playoffs, players' bodies are so beat up that they need help to sustain a high level of play you know, help from things that might go against the NHL's uh, drug policy on PEDs. The league has reached out to Leonard and would like to speak to, to him, uh, especially after he has since said he will be releasing a story every day. Uh, RJ, the overuse of painkillers has been a pretty open secret in all sports, but these allegations of heavy-duty psychoactive drugs that can lead to serious addictions are fairly new. So kind of where does the NHL go from here? What do you think is going to happen with Leonard? I mean, just your thoughts in general on all this. Uh, well, this morning we've heard that the NHL has, I guess, reached out to, to Leonard and, and asked if he'd like to be, I guess, interviewed privately. I mean, I, I don't 
know exactly what that means or what that entails. I'm sure the league, this has certainly caught the league's attention. Um, but you know, these allegations, you know, if true, this is the kind of thing that needs to see the light of day. I, I like Jeff Merrick's comment that, you know, Leonard is his own players association. Uh, and that, you know, when you see this kind of stuff happen, uh, you have to, you have to make it known because this stuff doesn't go away until it sees the light of day and people are, are forced to reckon with this. Uh, I know the league would like this stuff to be, you know, kind of thrown under the rug if possible, but you know, it's certainly something that that needs looking into. And you talk about the Jack Eichel situation, you know, that this is kind of all stemming from. I think a lot of people all around the league have have started thinking, well, this is just unacceptable. I mean, it's getting really, really ugly. It's been ugly. Uh, and I think if the players don't stand up and defend themselves and one another, you're going to see this kind of thing continue. So uh, I, I think... You know, good on Leonard for for speaking up about that. We'll see what this brings. Yeah, it's going to be really interesting. The timing is very interesting with, you know, the regular season starting, you know, like less than two weeks away. Um, assuming Leonard is able to back up his claims to the NHL, we could see, you know, any number of coach fines, possible suspensions, teams facing fines, potential loss of draft picks. We've seen that from other transgressions before. Uh, it's, it's a pretty big deal, which is why we thought it needed to be brought up. But for now on to, you know, slightly happier talk about our Kraken. RJ, do you have any takeaways from these last two preseason games, both the, uh, two, one overtime winner against the Oilers and then the four, one loss to the Calgary flames last night? Well, the Kraken were going into these two games, both of them, you know, quote unquote home games and, both times their opponents played much less NHL-heavy rosters than they did uh, in the games in Edmonton and in Calgary. And the Kraken, well, let's start with the first one. We'll start with uh, the game in Everett. You know, they came out looking pretty flat against an Oilers team that was probably outmatched talent-wise. Uh, you know, I mentioned that the the crowd in Everett, you know, just wanted something to get going. And while Philip Grubauer was good, very, very good early, uh, you know, there wasn't a lot, you know, offensively to get the crowd excited about. They did manage to tie the game with under a minute to go and win an overtime, which is great. I'm so glad that, uh, you know, the Everett fans got to see that and you have end the game on a high note. But it did raise, a, you know, a few concerns, you know, about the level of play against an Oilers team that didn't have a lot of NHL regulars. Uh, yeah. Yeah. No, that game, it... I don't know. Maybe maybe the Oilers just have their kryptonite. I don't know exactly what it is, but uh, I mean, at least they were able to come away with the win. They they hung in there. They stayed with it, and and you know, eventually they're they were rewarded for that. And then uh, you know, last night in that Calgary game, that was a that was a bad game to watch. I'm just gonna say it. <laughs> it wasn't it wasn't very enjoyable, was it? No, I and I I guess kind of glad you had the same takeaway as I did. Um, yeah, I mean, the Kraken played very well in the first period, got a lot of, of high-danger scoring chances. Opposing goalie, uh, Daniel Vladar, looked great. Uh, but And that's starting to become a theme, I guess, just of those two games where, you know, the opposing goalie looks very good. Um, and then the Flames score late in the first. It kind of kills the momentum. And then, you know, Daryl Sutter, coach team, kind of falls into that trap, doesn't allow a whole lot defensively from then on, and uh, Flames skate away with a 4-1 win. Yeah, so I kind of had, you know, three major takeaways from watching, 
you know, certainly these last two preseason games, but also now having seen five total preseason games from the team. And so I'm gonna I'm gonna bring up these three kind of points, and I just want your opinion on on them. Okay. Uh, so the first thing I think is is pretty evident is that the defensemen don't really know what the team wants to be doing offensively, or they know about it and they're just not capable of participating mm -hmm. uh, because way too often the defensemen are, are late with outlet passes. There's basically no breakout passes from the Kraken zone zone. They seem afraid of turning over the puck and it's kind of killing what the offense is trying to do using their speed to get up ice and catching the other team in transition, getting them on their heels. Uh, Mark Giordano and, and Vince Dunn, they just take it themselves. But for the other guys, especially Alexiak, Hayden Fleury, and Jeremy Lauzon, they look like they just don't really know what they're doing. Like they just kind of hold onto the puck for what seems like forever in their own zone. Um, in that Edmonton game, there was a couple times where Hayden Fleury and Alexiak were just passing it back and forth laterally across the ice in their own zone. Like, no, you br you make a pass. No, you make a pass. And it, meanwhile, all Kraken forwards are just stuck at the blue line trying to enter the Oilers zone. What do you think about that, RJ? Have you noticed the same thing? Do you think there's anything the Kraken can do to fix that? I, I have noticed the same thing. And, and Dave Haxtell kind of, I, I guess, not hinted at it, but... When we were talking about in the in the uh, post morning skate scrum before uh, the game on Saturday, we were talking about well, how's the chemistry developing with the team? And he kind of uh, he didn't like that word chemistry. He said camaraderie rather. Um, you know, talking about you know sticking up for one another. But there is a difference between chemistry and camaraderie. I do think this is a team that you know definitely feels like their teammates. They you know they they trust one another. They care about one another. Um, but the chemistry isn't entirely there. Uh, and I think Haxel is aware of that. Uh, certainly as far as the, the D pairs go, uh, for that first game uh, in Everett against Edmonton, he Haxtell did try some new D pairs. He did say he was going to experiment with some new looks defensively. I wasn't a fan, particularly the Giordano-Dunn D pair, where they're great individually. They're two more offensive-oriented guys, but putting them together... It's redundant. It works in the offensive zone, but nowhere else. Um, and then leave, it leaves the other two D pairs as just two defensive-oriented guys who kind of struggle to get the puck out of their own end to move the puck and, and certainly to play with it in the offensive zone. Yeah, uh, you know, kind of staying with the defense real quick. Um, last night in the Calgary game, and we are recording this Sunday afternoon to be released on Monday. So when we say last night, it is last night for us. I know it's not for you guys, the listeners. Um, but last night, three of those four goals scored by Calgary were scored by, you know, essentially screening the goaltender, right? Drieger didn't really have a chance on three of those because he just couldn't see anything. There was so much traffic in front of him. And I'm kind of wondering why the D hasn't been better about, you know, clearing out that traffic right part of the whole thing with this defense is that all these guys are big they're strong they're physical guys i know the nhl is you know cracking down on the cross-checking thing and you know that's traditionally always been the way you clear out the guy trying to screen the goalie you just cross-check him you know you, you you fracture his back and and then he's not screening your goalie right but you know there's got to be other things that these defensemen can do to to kind of help limit the traffic in front of the goaltenders don't you think yeah, especially given, like you said, the size that the Kraken have on the blue line. This is something that they should be good at. And I think it just comes back down to the fact that the defensemen aren't really playing with confidence in their roles at the moment. Uh, you know, you can 
you need to be confident in where your position and where your D partner is and, and everything that's going on in the ice around you before you can kind of start to, you know, shove a guy out from in, in front of the net before you're in. So you're not looking at the puck and where that's going. And you have to kind of be confident in your positioning and where you are. And I think that's what it comes down to uh, where the defensemen just haven't, I guess, picked up the systems entirely yet. But at the end of the day, you know, we forget that is to be expected to an extent. This is an expansion team. They haven't played together before. Given Vegas's hot start, we kind of expect it to all just be a finished product right away. And also Vegas, they had a losing record in their first preseason. You know, that's something a lot of people forget given how hot they started out of the gate in the regular season. Um, so I'm not too worried yet, but it, definitely it's not, it's not where it should be. Yeah. And, and then finally, special teams has been, you know, a big talking point. Power play obviously needs to be better. Um, I know everyone liked Donskoy in the bumper roll last night on that second unit, um, but personally, I think he should be on the left half boards. Uh, his being right-handed didn't always seem to to gel with the other guys he was working with in that bumper roll. He was then having to pass on his backhand over to guys' forehand, um, and I really feel like on the power play for him his passing is his greatest asset right now and in tight like that he wasn't able to totally dish it and the one goal that they did score on the power play guess where he was he was on the left half board so personally i would switch him and uh, i think morgan geeky was put was playing over there otherwise my other kind of fix for the power play just to try to get things going on there would be to get uh you know wenberg off the first power play with the first line because he really didn't look like he had chemistry there. Obviously, he's missed time due to the birth of his child. Uh, I'd replace him with Ryan Donato because Ryan Donato right now seems to be one of the only players in this lineup who like wants to be a trigger man. And, you know, I think loading him up on the right half boards there and just letting him rip it and throw pucks on net, I think is kind of what this power play might be missing. Yeah, and before Wenberg came back, Donato was the guy there mm -hmm. on that first unit. They moved him off when Wenberg came back. And I understand wanting to give Wenberg a try there. He's a, he's a very talented player. But I do have to agree with you. I think Donato is better uh, in that spot, at least for now. Uh, he's kind of eager to earn a role on this team, and he's not afraid to shoot it. He's got a great shot. I still think Donskoy is better off in the bumper position and Geeky uh, on those left side boards. And it's because I like Geeky's shot. From the bumper position, you can't take advantage as much uh, of Geeky's shot, which I think we're going to see a lot of this season. And Donskoy just doesn't have a powerful shot. Passing is the asset, as you mentioned. Um, but that can be a spot on the boards for to have a trigger man. And I just don't think Donskoy can do that. He did have a few awkward times where he was receiving the puck on his backhand, but he made it work okay. And it's a lot of the times because it was moved over to that left side where he had to play on the backhand, but on the right side, he's playing it on his forehand. So, which you're going to get that for anyone given their handedness in the bumper role as a central position on the ice. That's just something you're going to have. Yeah. Uh, but those were just kind of some general thoughts I had from, you know, the, basically the preseason as a whole. Thank you for indulging me and, you know, given some good answers, but I think now we should move on to the thing that I'm, I'm sure most listeners are here for, which is our, you know, player by player breakdown of this roster. So we're going to start net out because all great championship teams are built from the net out. Uh, so RJ, we're going to start with Philip Grubauer. What'd you think of him so far through the preseason? What have you seen? Likes don't likes. Uh, he's been solid. And in, from the start of training camp, the very beginning, like first couple days, 
I saw him in net and he was a lot too many pucks were going in the net. Basically, he looked kind of small in net. He wasn't moving very quickly. But as soon as uh, there was that scrimmage, he looked excellent. You know, in any kind of game situation, he is just dialed in and ready to go. Uh, and that's as advertised, right? That's what you think you're getting when you get Philip Grubauer. And he's given the Kraken a chance every time that he's been in the net. So I've been totally happy with him. No surprises for me, but that's a good thing given how good he is. Yeah, no, he's he's made it clear he's the guy, I think. Um, I feel very confident moving forward with him. He's played like a guy who's going to keep Seattle in every game that they're, you know, he's starting in net for them. They're going to be in it no matter what. The only time I, I kind of had issues with him was the beginning of that very first preseason game against Vancouver. And to be perfectly honest, I felt that it was kind of just because the Kraken were so dominant in that first period that he wasn't really able to see any shots before all of a sudden he's got this breakaway opportunity coming in on him. So I just felt like he wasn't able to get into a rhythm in that game and Vancouver took advantage of it. But the rest of the game, I think he's been fantastic and I'm uh, very happy with where he seems to be at moving into the regular season. Chris Drieger, uh, not so much. Uh, I, I don't think he's going to lose his spot to Joey Decord anytime soon, but boy, it's it's been pretty rough. His positioning's been a little erratic, like I was saying uh, on our video last week. He's he's kind of playing a little more chaos than control, although he did kind of correct that last night. You know, again, like I said, last night, three of those four goals weren't totally on him. He was having to fight through traffic, trying to see the puck, had a hard time. But it's, you know, it's just hard because I felt like that was his opportunity for a big bounce back performance. And then, you know, maybe the team didn't really let him have that. It was, and they kind of set it up that way, right? You had the goalies switching for the third period, um, you know, in the previous games, and then Drieger's going to get the full game because this is kind of his bounce back moment, and then you know allows four goals on was it thirteen shots? Uh, you know, that's that's not ideal. And uh, as you mentioned, a few of those, he there wasn't much he could do about, uh, but I think he did get his improve his positioning it was better but there were still some pucks that just kind of found their way through him not necessarily around him but through him which has been another problem so far this preseason where he's just been i guess a little bit leaky you know through the arms through the legs that sort of thing where you didn't see that from him last season but i think you still have to qualify all of this with goaltending is just weird right <laughs> and it can be up and it can be down and you know, guys have hot streaks, guys have cold streaks, and that's just something that happens. And that's why the Kraken have two great goalies, so that if one of them has a cold streak, boom, you can turn to Philip Grubauer. You know, it's it's something that the Kraken, I think, are well-equipped to deal with. And if you go by the numbers that say that Philip Grubauer is this elite goalie that we think he is, Chris Drieger looks even better on those numbers the last two seasons, just about any metric you want to look at. So there's reason to believe he'll bounce back. Yeah, no, I was I was going to bring up that same point. All goalies go through hot and cold streaks. It's probably good he's getting his cold streak out of the way in the preseason when these games ultimately don't matter, right? That's the time to do it. Uh, Joey Decor arguably looked like the best goaltender for the Kraken. Certainly the most fundamentally strong, I thought. Uh, the closer. He, yeah, exactly. He looked really good. I, I enjoyed the fact that he could come off the bench after two periods, kind of cold, come into a third period and just dominate the way he was. It's really unfortunate he's going to you know be playing in Charlotte this year because there's just no spot for him. But Kraken fans have to feel good that if something was 
you know, if, if something is to happen to Philip Grubauer or Chris Drieger, Joey Decord's going to come in and, and be rock solid for this team. Absolutely. And he's someone that, if not for the odd situation of the expansion draft and, you know, multiple goalies being taken, he would probably be playing a bunch of NHL games this season if he had stayed in Ottawa. Uh, I think he's ready for that. Um, but he'll get some valuable development experience in Charlotte. And, you know, if the Kraken have a goalie injury, next man up is going to be very good. Yes. Uh, so, you know, continuing our theme of net out, let's move on to the defenseman. RJ, why don't you tell us about Mark Giordano? Well, Mark Giordano, real quick off the ice, I mean, he's taken on the leadership role that we figured he would, too. You know, he's kind of emerged as a de facto captain of this team. Um, on the ice, I think he's done his part moving the puck uh, and providing something offensively for a Kraken team that really needs that out of their blue line with a lot of you know, bigger defensemen that don't have the most offensive uh, tendencies. Um, but I liked what I've seen from him so far. You definitely can't tell, you know, age-wise that he's 37, you know. Uh, he looks great out there. Yeah, there's not too much to say about him. He's looked great. He's been really aggressive offensively, which I, I think is is good to do especially on this team i think he knows that you know maybe there's not this 40 goal score that's going to be stepping up every night for this team so he can you know join some rushes shoot the puck uh it works for him because he's he's also he's a savvy veteran right he knows what he can you know how far he can push it knowing his limitations on getting back defensively you know he kind of knows what other teams want to be doing so he knows how to get in passing lanes if he's not you know as far back as he needs to be so it's it's been really great and I hope a lot of the younger guys can you know absorb some of the knowledge that he's already shown in this preseason as far as some of that stuff Jamie Alexiak has been really solid playing the man and not the puck defensively um I think there's a lot of trust between him and Giordano in the games that they've been paired up. As we were talking about earlier, though, he's one of the defensemen that needs to be more confident when passing. I get it. You're the big guy. You want to make use of your reach and stop opposing rushes and all that great stuff. But he's so hesitant to make an outlet pass or even just a strong pass across the blue line in the offensive zone. At some point, you just got to go for it and trust that you're smart enough to be making the right decision. You know what I mean? Mm -hmm. But uh, otherwise, he's been a defensive beast, and I think he's going to you know, chew up a lot of minutes for this team. Absolutely. And I think you hit on it with the you know, hesitation to make an outlet pass. And that's why it's really important that he has the right D partner. I think you could say that for a few guys on this team, but that's why it's really important to get the D pairs right. Because when he's with a Mark Giordano and can move the puck over to Giordano, who can then move it out of the zone himself, uh, it really increases his effectiveness. Uh, but I do like what I've seen from Alexiak defensively. You know, he's big, he's strong, he's not afraid to play physically, but we knew that. Um, what I've been surprised by is his agility, though, especially last night. Um, I, he can move really quickly and can change directions quickly, uh, you know, especially for a guy of his size. So you like to see that. Yeah, those those long legs are good to build up a, a powerful stride. Do you want to talk about Adam Larson before I just gush over him like I've been doing? <laughs> yeah, I mean, I'll let you I'll let you have the floor for most of this. Um, I'll, I will just say uh, you you clued me into it. I'll, I'll let you you know explain, but he really does bring everything together as far as the D pairs, and you saw that. Uh, for their first game in Everett against the Oilers when they didn't have him, uh, where the D pairs just all felt wrong. And, you know, I was texting you. I said, you know, 
these D pairs. I'm not a fan. Like, this is not going well. And you're like, yeah, they just need Adam Larson to slot him in here. I'm like, yeah, that would fix everything. So anyway, I'll let you go. Talk about Adam Larson. Yeah, so I've what I've loved from Adam Larson and what I was hoping he would bring, uh, you know, coming over from Edmonton was kind of an aggressiveness offensively. Now, as I've been saying, he's not going to put up, you know, 10 goals probably this season, but he makes really strong, decisive passes. He makes good outlet passes, good breakout passes. He likes to step up and keep the puck in the offensive zone when the other team's other teams trying to clear he does throw the puck at the net and he's got you know a good heavy shot that stays low creates rebounds off goalies pads we saw that the other night uh Jaden Schwartz was able to score uh, a goal off of that so I I just think he's he's going to be the key guy for this team I think it's been great to see him with the A on his chest uh showing that he is you know kind of in a leadership role on this team and I think yeah he's He's looked good kind of paired with anybody he's been paired with. I, I just think he's going to bring a lot. And, you know, he's no slouch defensively either. So uh, I, I've been really happy with him. Moving on to the next defenseman, Vince Dunn. Boy, is he playing aggressive, RJ. Like, oh, yeah. oh he, you'll just <laughs> see him. He's like below the goal line in the offensive zone sometimes. It's uh, I love it. It seems like Hackstall must be OK with it, I guess. Um, yeah, he's you know, he's drifted in deep there, like I said. But <laughs> I don't know. It's, it's just cool to see a defenseman have a net front presence sometimes. But really, you know, he's he's been everything we've wanted from him offensively. Obviously, he had that power play goal last night on that, you know, rocket of a shot. I like the way, again, he steps up, tries to keep the puck in the zone, keep offensive possessions going. Uh, but yeah, you know, eh, maybe maybe a little too aggressive at times. Yeah, but I still I still like to see it. That's what we wanted from him, right? Because no one else on this team is going to do that. Um, I mean, it's probably good that no one else is going to be a net front presence as a defenseman. But um, especially as a power play quarterback, it, you know, that's what was great to see last night is him being effective in that role too and and scoring the goal i thought it was it was well deserved because they had a lot of great chances that ran through him prior to that as well um yeah certainly you know in in all the game situations i've seen he's he's brought what he needs to bring to this blue line yeah so now we kind of get into you know the there are two starting spots left and maybe four or five guys to fill them so do you want to start us off with uh, carson susie yeah, uh, Carson Soucy, he's another one of those big guys, physical guys. They have a lot of them on the blue line. Um, and I did think that, you know, going into training camp, he might be one of the guys that could potentially be moved, not even because of really anything he did or didn't do, just because of, you know, it's kind of redundant, right? When you have Alexiak on the blue line, you know, you have especially the younger guy, Larson, who's as big as he is, and, you know, Borgen. You know, Susie is is another guy who basically does that. And um, being up close at training camp too, man, he is giant. Like there, there are a few players that surprise. And I knew Susie was big, but man, he, uh, you know, he, he's a big guy. Um, but I think he's played fine. He needs to be paired with a puck mover, though. That's another one of these things. You need to pair him with a puck mover because he's not going to do it himself. Uh, he was paired with. Oh, was it Lausanne or was it or was it Hayden Flurry? It was Hayden, one of those. Hayden two. Flurry. It was Hayden. He's paired, Flurry. Yeah, he was paired with Hayden Flurry for that game against Edmonton, and just neither of them could move the puck out of their own zone. They were trapped in their own zone for a long time. They were good at kind of clearing guys out of the front. You know, they were good at winning the board battles, but once they did, 
that puck just couldn't get out of their own zone. Uh, so I think he's another guy who you have to pair with a puck mover. And, you know, the Kraken already have a shortage of those. So, yeah, I don't know. What do you think? Yeah, it, it's a shame because I actually liked uh, his and Hayden Fleury's chemistry together. I thought they played really well defensively. They both seemed to know where the other one was going to be in their own zone. But yes, as you said, it was it was just kind of rough to watch them, them being trapped back there. I do think he's at least tried to make some passes, unlike some of the other guys that we've talked about. Um, he, you know, he, he's trying to take initiative. It looks like, you know, maybe he's trying to make it a point of emphasis to work on that aspect of his game, because really, that's the only aspect of his game he needs to improve on. He's been super solid defensively. He's maybe a little slow at times, but he makes up for it in his positioning, and he's clearly smart about what the other team wants to be doing. He knows how to use his reach, how to use his body. So, um you know, I, I think if he can if he can figure out the offense and, and making those passes out of the zone and, and build up some confidence there, I don't want the Kraken to move him. I think he's he'd be a really good, you know, focal point of a third D pair. And I want to add that of these guys that, you know, from him on that we're about to talk about, I think he is, you know, in a vacuum, the best player right now. Mm-hmm. I will say that. Yeah, I agree with that. Um, so this, I think, is going to be our first, like, you know, pretty, pretty controversial, you know, between you and me guy. And that's Will Borgen. Um, I'm not a fan of him and I'm not a a fan of how he's played, Uh, you know, before even the game last night where I got to see him a little bit more. I just thought he played slow. You know, obviously he played in that blowout Oilers loss. So everybody looks slow in that game going up against guys like McDavid. But it it just felt like he was kind of slow thinking the game, not just, you know, getting back at times. Um, He he played well, but it, you know, it just felt off to me. Um, I I just don't think he's fast enough to take some of the chances that he does, particularly like trying to step up offensively, keep pressures going, because if he misses it, which does happen, or if, you know, he does have a pass and he, you know, it's not a strong pass, it gets intercepted. There's no way he can get back fast enough. I don't know. He plays physical, but he doesn't play as physical as he could. So it's just, I feel like as far as on this third pair, I definitely would put Carson Soucy above him. And I might even put Hayden Fleury above him right now based on how he's playing. But I know, you know, you liked him and uh, a lot of people in the comments of our last video liked him. So tell me, what am I missing, RJ? Well, I think it's more of a preference issue for you to, I think you want the safer guy. I think you want, um, you know, the guy who's going to look a little more solid defensively, even if it means that he's not taking chances. And I look at Borgen in the context of this Kraken blue line, and I think he has more of what they need uh, rather than what they have. Um, you know, if you had another team that had just a bunch of offensive guys who were taking risks and moving the puck, uh, then I think Borgen might not be as good a fit there. But I think he kind of fills in the gaps uh, that the Kraken need. I like that he's willing to take some more chances, even if he gets burned on some of them. Uh, And again, he's a young player. He only played, what, like 10 games last season. Uh, So these are things that he needs to learn. But I like what I'm seeing as far as the upside. I think he's willing to get more involved on the rush. And I like what I've seen from him there. He's moved the puck past uh, a few defenders at times and, and have helped created something offensively. I don't know if you saw this play last night, um, you know, on the rebroadcast, but he 
found his way, you know, kind of by the front of the net because he had pinched up on the rush and a shot came to him that was going like five feet wide of the net. And he managed to tip it like through his legs and get it on net. Vladar stopped it. But I was looking for a number because I just, you know, saw the side of him like, all right, what forward did that? I, and it was Will Borgen and I couldn't believe it. <laughs> like, okay, I got to bring this up on the podcast. Um, so... Yeah, give give me the guy who takes some more chances, especially if he's younger and and you know he can learn to kind of settle down and and get rid of the mistakes a little bit. But but give me Borgen's upside. Yeah, I I can see that argument. Um, I'm gonna I'm gonna counter with Hayden Flurry. Uh, and, okay. and 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 this may sound odd, but I'm going to start by saying, I've I've never liked Hayden Flurry. As a player, I've always been disappointed in him because, oh my gosh, the dude has an amazing slap shot and he refuses to use it. And and this has been a gripe I've had about him going back to his, his major junior days uh, when he was drafted by Carolina. I was just like, why does this guy not shoot the puck more? I've never understood it. I don't know. Um, I thought, but I thought he's playing, he's playing pretty good D right now. I, I don't know. Maybe it is like you said, I just, I, I'm... I'm more conservative by nature when it comes to the to this. I think for a third pairing, maybe that's probably the way you'd want it to be. You don't necessarily want a Will Borgen who's thinking he's Vince Dunn and can have that net front presence and tipping the puck. But um, I don't know. I just feel like with Hayden Fleury, his defense is solid enough. He knows how to use his big body, how to use his reach and stuff. If he just focused on offense, and I, you know, again, this is something I've said about him for years now. If he just focused on offense, if he focused on taking shots, I just feel like he could really finally ascend to that like kind of you know first round, top half of the first round draft pick that he was, you know, so many years ago. So. You know, you counter with Hayden Flurry, and I have no gripes with Hayden Flurry. I think he's been solid defensively. Um, again, like you said, need to use the slap shot more. But I counter that with the the Hayden Flurry Carson Susie D pair. You know, on uh, on Saturday against Edmonton, I just think if you look at what the team needs, again, it depends. I think they're going to move out a defenseman. I don't know who it is, um, but I think Borgen kind of brings more of what's missing and flurry and Susie is just redundant at this point. Um, but I, I do like flurry. I thought he's played well and he certainly looked more mature than, than maybe a Will Borgen or, or a Jeremy Lausanne. We'll get to Lausanne, you know, in, in a second, but um, I think he's looked the most mature of the three. Uh, so yeah, I have no knock on his game so far. Yeah. And when it comes to who should be moved out, kind of, Susie is is the only one on my list is like the guy I really don't want to see them move. Otherwise, I say go ahead and and you know if if Borgen gets you the highest package, go ahead trade him. If it's Hayden Flurry that gets you the the best return, go ahead trade him. Lauzon, same thing. I, I I just think you know unless the package for Susie is pretty substantially better than the a package for one of the other guys, I, I think you hold on to Susie and then any of these guys should be the person moved out. You mentioned Jeremy Lauzon. He's not playing well, RJ. Like, no, I, he's not. <laughs> why does, what, yeah, I, I'm. I don't know. I was. I was really rooting for him too because I know that he's the type of player that could be very valuable in the playoffs. Uh, he does have that edge to him, and he showed that in the preseason games occasionally. You know, where he's he's willing to battle with guys along the boards and kind of give that extra shove and whatnot. Um, but aside from that, uh, he just 
hasn't looked very good defensively and then, you know, hasn't moved the puck very well. Um, yeah, I, I have been disappointed, I think, by his game. Yeah, these these next two defensemen that we're talking about, including Lausanne, are really the poster childs for, I feel like, at times trying to do too much. I, I feel like he, when it comes to Lausanne, though, he's trying to do too much, but he, he's not even getting past the, like, the thinking about it phase. Like, he's like, okay, what play should I be making? Meanwhile, the play around him has already passed him by, kind of. Um, I, there was a moment last night where, you know, the Kraken were on a line change, but Lausanne has the puck behind their own net. He's, you know, waiting to, you know, make the, do the breakout. Like, here we go, let's go. And he just stood there for almost four seconds, which is like an eternity in a professional sport. So, and, and he, and then all he did was just passed it to the other defenseman. Like, like that was it. That was all that he could come up with. And, you know, I, I hate to be so down on the guy, but it's just, I don't know. He's, he drifts all around defensively. He's not really staying in position. He's not, you know, playing the man at all. He's just kind of slowly drifting, letting guys get behind him. I don't know what the deal is there. It doesn't look like the Jeremy Lausanne we saw last year in Boston, that's for sure. <laughs> so, um, you know, maybe he can turn it around, maybe not. You know, maybe he's the guy they move out. Uh, the other guy, though, that I think is is maybe trying too hard is Dennis Chlowski, who I think is trying way too hard to be like Vince Dunn. And, and he's just trying too hard offensively. I think he knows that he's probably not making this team just because of the insane amount of experience ahead of him for this position. It's obviously the Kraken's deepest position, but he's he's in my opinion he's he's rushing his passes. He's not making good passes cuz he's trying to do it too quickly. Um he's shooting from the point through like clean lanes where the goalie can just see it the whole way. Like, you know, shots from the point, unless you're like super legit with your shot, you got like Shea Weber slap shot power where you're going to launch it literally through the net. You can't, you can't do that. You got to wait for some traffic in front of the net. Otherwise make a pass, you know, make, do a slap pass. Maybe try that. If you're going to be trying all this stuff, try something fun like that. But I just think Jalowski's, he's just trying too hard. Yeah, I have to agree with that assessment. And we kind of hinted at it, uh, last couple of weeks where I said he was probably the, the one guy at that point that I really just couldn't see making the team. But I do sympathize with his position, I want to say, because he's a more offensive defenseman. That's the type of guy he is. And he knows that that's his only chance of making this team is if he can basically show that he is Vince Dunn. And you kind of have to go all out and impress, right? Because you're on the outside looking in, you know that you're going to really have to catch someone's eye. And so you're going to have to take some risks. And it, it certainly hasn't gone well for him. Uh, but I, I do at least understand the position he's in. Uh, so I don't have a huge problem with him trying things. But yeah, no, it's it just hasn't worked out. Yeah. And again, you know, the writing was on the wall before any of these games were even played, right? Like they're just so deep at, at defense. It's he was just kind of stuck in this position. Um so the next guy, RJ, is someone people talked a lot, and that's you know the Kraken's second-round pick from this year, Riker Evans. Again, we knew he was not going to be making this team, certainly not his first you know NHL camp. But uh, what did you see from Riker Evans? Uh, I saw offensive ability. I saw great skating. Uh, I saw maturity beyond what I expected for a recent draft pick. Uh, and I saw the makings of a top four defenseman. Uh, 
I mean, he just impressed at every turn. And yes, he's already been sent back to junior. He didn't make the team, but we knew that was going to happen, especially with the blue line that the Kraken have. Uh, but Riker Evans did about as well as you could have possibly expected. And he earned you know, the praise of, of Coach Haxtell, who mentioned him when asked uh, what young players have stood out. Um, and yeah, I, I think he can take a lot of good things away from this camp. And he got to play a preseason game in front of his family too, which is nice. Yeah, for me, for him to be able to walk into camp and walk into the preseason game, knowing that, you know, the Kraken are so deep at his position that you could basically fill two NHL rosters with the amount of guys that they have. And then to have the showing that he did, it impressed me, you know, basically beyond words. I, I loved his offensive instincts. He needs some more refinement and practice doing some things at, you know, NHL speed. But what, you know, recent second round pick doesn't need those things, right? Um, but yeah, I, for me, he showed enough flashes that I think he's he's going to have momentum going into next year's camp based on what he did this year. And I think that's that's pretty rare. And and assuming you know everything holds up while he's while he's playing in in Regina for the rest of this year, I, I just think he's going to come in ne next year and and be really really strong for the Kraken. Uh, the next two guys, I'll be honest, I didn't you know really scout that much through the preseason games just because we knew they weren't going to be making this roster. You've seen a lot more of them than I have being at you know camp and at the morning skates and stuff. So I'm going to go ahead and pass over uh, Connor Carrick and Kale Fleury to you because I, I just don't really have anything. Well, I'll start with Connor Carrick. And I did bring him up uh, a couple podcasts ago as a guy who uh, had stood out to me for his effort and kind of the way he was approaching training camp. And he really did keep that going all the way through the time he was in training camp. Um, you know, in every drill and in, in every bit of practice, you could see he was treating it, you know, as though it was a game and, and going as hard as he could. You know, but from the beginning, like a lot of these guys, he was kind of on the outside looking in. And in the preseason games, he didn't really show up very much to me. I, I, I hardly noticed him in the preseason games. And it's tough, right? I think he kind of almost did the opposite of, of what Chalowski had done, where he he wasn't willing to risk looking really bad, you know, defensively or, or taking unnecessary risk and hurting the team to try and stand out and impress. And I think, you know, at the end of the day, that you could probably look at that as a good thing, um, you know, and, and speaks to the kind of player he is where he's, you know, always willing to put the team first, even when it means passing up, you know, opportunity to like pinch in individually and maybe make a good play for yourself. Uh, but he's definitely going to be a great leader uh, with the Charlotte Checkers. And um, I think it's great that the Kraken have him in the organization. Uh, as for Kale Fleury, I just, I didn't see a whole lot from him, you know, one way or the other. Right? He, he had some defensive breakdowns at times, you know. Uh, yeah, definitely didn't, stand out as far as someone who should get more of a second look yet. Um, but that could be to be expected. You know, he's a younger player. We probably all knew he needs a little more time in the AHL. It was good to see him play with his brother on a D pair for one game. Uh, that's just a nice touch. But uh, what do you think of those two? I know you didn't have a whole lot to say, but. Yeah, I, I'm kind of on the same boat with you with Carrick. I, I thought he, he was playing things too safe and he, and it ultimately just made him, you know, made it so that you just kind of gloss right over him when you're when you're looking out there um so you know th but that's you know a lesson for a young guy to learn in you know especially a very competitive camp is that you know you do have to make 
take those risks sometimes. Kale Fleury, same thing. The thing I did notice with Kale Fleury is I'm a big fan of his skating. Uh, I like his skating a lot, and, and I do think he was trying to push offense a little bit, but he just, you know, he kind of ran into a wall there. Uh, that was one of those games where the, the Kraken weren't exactly playing their best, I didn't think. So uh, it, it's tough to judge him there. But again, this this roster was just so deep at that the, that position. I just don't think he either of those guys really had a chance at all. All right, so last but certainly not least is the forward group. We're going to start with Jared McCann. Now, I'm going to start off talking about him by saying, you know, it can be hard to play with high-level offensive players, you know, keeping up with their skill and speed and, and just the way they tend to think of the game. And, you know, if you need any evidence of that, just look at his former teammate, Sidney Crosby, right? It's been a forever yep. problem trying to find wingers to play with him. But, you know, so I was worried about that for McCann centering Eberle and Schwartz. Was, I wasn't sure that he was going to be able to, to think and do the things that those guys do. But you know what? He can. He's looked great. He, I, I don't know. I've, I've really liked him. I like him now as the center for that line. I don't feel the need to see Wenberg there anymore the way I thought I was going to going into this. Um, I think he's got you know maybe a little bit more chemistry with Schwartz right now than with Eberle, but he just looks like he's feeling it. You know what I mean? Absolutely. I, he's He looks like he belongs in every sense. Um, he's confident too with his shot i mean i i love his shot so far you know he's he's had a couple really good snipes and he's just good at using the guys around him to create plays and um just doesn't look uncomfortable in the slightest yeah i don't i've seen enough i don't need to see wenberg there uh right now you know maybe when yanni gord comes back we can reevaluate things and you know what the kraken want to do but I'm comfortable with McCann as, as the one C going into the regular season. And uh, Haxtell won't fully commit to that yet. Um, but I think that's just a, you know, some coach speak basically where he doesn't want to, you know, commit. But yeah, I, I've, I've seen enough from McCann in, in the best way. I think he's done great. Yeah. And his shots looked really good. Uh, looking at his line mate, Jordan Eberle, again, Thought he looked good. He's kind of as advertised. I like his playmaking and his feel right now for the offensive zone, especially when he doesn't have the puck. I, I think he's got, you know, some good off puck stuff, some good forechecking. He doesn't necessarily use his body when forechecking, but boy, does he know how to get his stick in the way. Um, my, my only issue with him is what I was kind of worried about going into the season. Where does he go when the power play comes on? Like, I, I don't know. He just like, <laughs> he like physically disappears and you just can't see him anymore. I, I don't get what his issue is with that. It was like that um, for the Islanders as well, but I, I don't know. I think that's the only thing he really needs to work on. Otherwise he's been pretty productive. Yeah. There's not a whole lot negative you can say about Everly. Yeah. The power play is, is just an issue, but kind of knew that might be coming. Um, I'm glad you mentioned the forecheck because that's what's impressed me the most. You know, I know Everly's going to be smooth with him without the puck in the zone, but the forecheck is something that, I didn't really get to see a whole lot of Everly with the Islanders, um, but man, he's he is so hard around the puck. You know, he doesn't use his body, like you said, but the stick is always in the defenseman's passing lanes. Like if you're a defenseman against him, you need to be watching where you send the puck because chances are he's going to read what you're trying to do, and he'll already be on top of it. And you saw that, you know, with a great pass interception, four on four. Um, I think it was the first Calgary game. 
uh, and then a quick pass right in front of Jaden Schwartz for the goal. Uh, yeah, he's been excellent. Yeah, you want to finish this off on this line with uh, Jaden Schwartz? Yeah, and then Jaden Schwartz, who uh, has scored a few goals this preseason, and I think we uh, we picked him to potentially be, you know, a goals leader, you know, for the Kraken, and it sure looks like it's headed that way. Uh, he is, I think, ready to be a finisher on this line, but he's also a great playmaker. Uh, the chemistry with Everly is great, and we saw that from day one of training camp. Um, yeah, I don't think the two of them hadn't really played together before at the NHL level, but um, it was just something going in where it just felt like it was going to work out, and it and it's worked out seamlessly. Yeah, no, I'm with you. I think he he would be now my pick to lead the team in goals. Um, uh, what I like about him is his desire to be net front, uh, especially on the power play at times. And what what I find interesting about it is he's not he's not like driving to the net ever. Like he's not announcing himself to the defense. He's not you know making himself known physically. He's just kind of drifting in there, like you know some nice autumn breeze. And next thing you know, he's scoring off a Adam Larson. You know slap shot rebounds in front of the net and he's just there and everyone's like oh where did he come from very uh cory perry like to me if i had to like kind of mm. give a comp to how he's playing right now it reminds me of cory perry i know one of your favorite players um oh, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> uh so alex wenberg rj why don't you talk a little bit about him obviously we haven't seen too much of him quite yet right uh he's come back after uh the birth of his son which Congrats again to, you know, to the whole Wenberg family on that. But um, yeah, he's, he hasn't been the smoothest kind of integrating back in the lineup. And that's what you expect, I suppose, you know, when you take that much time off from a really important training camp, too, just with everyone getting to know each other. Um, I would like to see him, you know, on a, uh, with some different line mates. But I don't think the Kraken have really had the opportunity to do that yet with him being gone and kind of needing to put him back in a familiar position. So I understand why they put him back on the line with the two Swedes, with, with Jarn Croak and Johansson. Um, yeah, I, I, I think he's a player that we're going to have to wait, I guess, until the start of the regular season to really see more of what he's capable of, just given the situation through training camp. Yeah, I mean, he just he looks like a guy who hasn't played as much as the guys around him right now. You know what I mean? Like he's he's just that you know maybe half a step slower, uh, feeling things out. Um, but yeah, I'm I'm not worried at all. I'll I'll kind of get to his line mates as we get down here. Um, but you know, starting let's start with Cali Yarncroak, who I I feel like in these last couple games he's had is finally starting to look like himself. I was a little worried after those first uh that first preseason game or two. I really like him with Wenberg. I think they have really good chemistry. I think their their style, their two-way stuff is very built on fundamentals. And they, they want to play like this fundamentally strong game and, and a very cerebral type game. And and that's, you know, Cali Yarncroke to a T. I, I've liked his net front presence, his forechecking. It's all been good. He's more about, again, kind of like with Everly, he wants to disrupt what you're doing rather than kind of grind you down. Um, but again, that can be just as frustrating. And with this team that is so, you know, built more like we want to grind you down with a lot of the depth forwards they have, it can, you know, it can be a nice curveball sometimes. Guys are maybe, you know, holding onto it, thinking they're going to get hit. And then all of a sudden he swoops in and steals it or something. I don't know. Maybe I'm, you know, a little too far out there. But what have you seen from uh, Yarncroak so far? I know you're a fan, you know, stylistically of, of Cali Yarncroak. And I certainly do appreciate it. Uh, especially seeing him work 
uh, off the puck in the defensive zone and, and taking the puck away from guys, which is something that is you know, he's just really good at, and we've known that. Um, but yeah, I agree. I like the chemistry with Wenberg. Um, and it's tough for, for Yarncroke because he's had to move into center in Wenberg's absence. So he's had to take on that responsibility as well. And now moving back to wing these last couple games with Wenberg taking over at center. So he's had to perform multiple roles already through just training camp in the preseason. And I mean, just to look good while doing that still uh, is impressive in its own right. And he's just, he's a plug and play guy. Wherever you want to put him in the lineup, he's going to bring what he brings. And uh, I think the Kraken are, are lucky to have that. Yeah. Now I'm going to go into some stuff with Marcus Johansson, but before I do, do you, do you want to give your thoughts on him real quick? I'm, I'm interested to see what you think. Um, you know, he's kind of been all over the place. I'll notice a good thing, a bad thing, you know, in, um, especially where you're going to be slotting on the power play. I just don't know where that fits. I, yeah, I, I'm help me make sense of this Dylan. All right, so I've actually thought overall he looks pretty good. I, I've been impressed with him so far. I just hate him with Wenberg and Yarncroak. He plays a completely different game where they're more fundamentals. He's a little more up-tempo than they are, and he's a little more you know, free-flowing with things. He wants to work off of what's happening around him, right? He, he's going he's gonna to see what the other team's doing, and then he's going to personally adjust. And and I just don't feel like that always fits with Wenberg and Yarncroak. So personally, I want to see him on a line with Donskoy and centered by Morgan Geeky because I feel like those three guys, they're all kind of, you know, they're they're really trying to feel the game and they're trying to make things happen based off of what's happening around them rather than trying to, you know, really take the game over and, and force themselves upon things. And and so I just haven't felt that he's fit in well with Wenberg or Yarncroak. But I, I do think he's playing well right now. Interesting. I like that idea of the of putting him on a line with with Geeky and Donskoy, and we'll we'll get into those two later. So I'll I'll leave it. But um, yeah, interesting idea. Yeah. Well, I mean, we don't have to wait too long. We can we can move right in. Morgan Geeky, one of the biggest you know surprises of both camp and now the preseason. Dudes look fantastic, RJ. Oh, absolutely. Uh, we were scratching our heads a little bit at the very first, you know, at the expansion draft, wondering. And I think the takeaway we had was, well, Ron Francis must know something because he's seen him. He's seen a lot of Morgan Geeky. And so he must see something. He must know something. And well, I mean, here it is. <laughs> I think we could all see exactly what Ron Francis was thinking there. Um, even again, last night, you know, with the offense kind of struggling later in the game, Geeky uh, you know, had another great play where he turned a defenseman around like nothing and, and almost sent it to Donskoy for a highlight real goal. Um, he's just looked dangerous, very dangerous offensively. And I, I think he's poised for a breakout. I know we said it before, but Kiki's got to be the breakout forward for the Kraken. Yeah, it really makes you wonder about all those people who graded that pick from Carolina you know d with like d grades maybe i don't know um i'm sure glad i wasn't on the record with that one Ugh. um yeah no and you know all all i could think of when they drafted him was i was looking at his numbers and i was like well he's pretty good you know on face-offs maybe they just want a face-off specialist morgan geeky let's go but yeah he's, he's proven to be a lot more than that i, I like the way he's playing that just all the way around there's not much to actually say he's just playing really really well um I'm going to go ahead and throw in uh, Ryan Donato here before we get on to Donskoy, just because I feel like he I, he's the guy I want to see up with Wenberg and Yarncroke. 
right now. Um, as we talked about earlier, he's he's clearly okay being the trigger man right now, certainly on the power play. He's kind of taking it upon himself to be an offensive guy. And, and I think that's probably because he knows this is his last good shot to, you know, get quality minutes on a team and even potentially just stay in the NHL in general. And, and I'm, you know, I'm happy for him that it's, it's all working out. He could be a little more physical when he's trying to forecheck. He doesn't quite have the, you know, the kind of defensive smarts that maybe Eberle or Yarncroke have as far as getting their stick in passing lanes and, and some of that pressuring guys trying to force turnovers. So I'd like to see him use his body. He's not a small guy. Um, but otherwise, his, it, just his shooting aggressiveness, I, I really like him. It'll be interesting to see when Colin Blackwell comes back, someone we haven't really talked about because he's been injured, when he comes back, how that's going to affect Ryan Donato, Nathan Bastian, some of these you know, wingers that we're going to be getting to in this little bit. But for right now, I think Donato has, you know, planted his flag. He deserves to be on this roster. And I think he could be fairly high up in this lineup. Agreed. And I want to say, I really like how both the Kraken and Donato have handled kind of the whole situation with bringing him in. You know, you see these types of signings sometimes where there's a guy who has some offensive promise Maybe doesn't play as good of a 200-foot game as you would like, but you're bringing him in around league minimum usually on this kind of you know low-risk, high-reward type signing. And one thing I think I see too often for those type of signings is the team never really gives the player enough of a chance to succeed. You know, right away they they kind of put him back in the bottom six, which is the problem. You know, in the first place, because if they're going to have a role, it's with skill guys. Um, and they put him in the bottom six, and they just never really give him a chance to shine. But I love how the Kraken have handled this from the beginning, putting Donato on the top power play unit to start, putting him with skilled players the whole time. And Donato's held up his end of the bargain. Uh, he has played really well. You know, he's fine being a trigger man, and he's confident. I mean, it shows the kind of confidence that uh, you can give a player by showing that you believe in him. Uh, so. I, I like what I've seen from Donato all around. I think you got to keep playing him with skilled players. Don't make the mistake of, you know, putting him in with, you know, more grinder type guys because we've seen it time and again, it's going to fail. Um, but I, I, I do like that idea of putting him up with, uh, with Wenberg and Yarncrow. Yeah. Um, so now coming back around to Donskoy, been his usual great self. I like him on this team maybe more in a bottom six capacity than a top six capacity. Um, you know, we knew he was going to be one of those borderline guys. He can go either way. We've seen him go either way before. Uh, but just for the style of play that the Kraken have been going with, I, I think I like him more on a third line. Very fast, high energy. I like that he plays his game when he's out there. Um, similar to Marcus Johansson and similar to Morgan Geeky right now. And that's why I just feel like, you know, as you were kind of saying that second unit power play in that um, Calgary game from last night, it was weird. And I don't think it necessarily worked as a power play, but they also like, there was a weird cohesiveness to them that I, I just think is maybe worth exploring for Dave Haxtall. Yeah. And Don Scoy, He's a guy where, again, you can play him in the top six because he has the skill to keep up with those guys, but you can also play him in the bottom six where he can take advantage of mismatches when he's going against uh, forwards and defensemen who are typically at the bottom of the lineup. 
he has such a skill advantage, such a creativity advantage that he can kind of create looks. And I think that's what we've seen from him a bit when he's been playing in that role. Um, yeah, I think in some of the games, he, he definitely looked like he was kind of out there trying to do things on his own uh, and and not not gelling with his line mates. So he's a guy who I, I think I would like to see him, again, tried on a different line. Um, but overall, the skill that we knew was going to be there is there. And uh, I think he's a guy that could step up and, and score more for the crack in this season. Yeah. And so now, you know, we're, we're moving down the lineup. We're talking about guys that are pretty solidly in a bottom six role here. going to start off with uh, Riley Sheehan, who has really surprised I've just been surprised how much we've seen of him in this preseason. He's a guy, he's bounced around quite a bit the last couple of years. The Kraken are his sixth team, uh, fifth team in the last four years. So like I said, he's really been getting around. But, you know, he's always been productive wherever he's been. He's the kind of guy who kind of comes in, he plays about two-thirds of the game for a team, a healthy scratch a third of the time just based on matchups, stuff like that. But he's always been a serviceable fourth-line center. Is he going to be hanging around once Yanni Gord comes back? That's really the question at this point. I think he's probably shown enough that he can hang on as like the fifth center guy that can, you know, is maybe a healthy scratch, but I think should be on the NHL roster. Um, but, you know, what do, what do you think? Well, at first I wasn't really, you know, thinking that he was going to make the roster come close to it. When I see Riley Shane's name, I, you know, on Twitter or whatever, I usually think of it as, oh, Riley Shane on waivers kind of thing. Um <laughs> But uh, he's he's earned a spot. Um, again, you asked, you know, the real question is, will he be there once Gord comes back? Um, but I think he's a player that the Kraken could turn to against certain opponents, certainly, uh, where they feel like they need a little bit more defensive responsibility, where they need more of a grinding type line. And uh, he's done a good job of working with his line mates. You know, he knows what his role is, especially with Brandon Tanev. you, you got to know, when Brandon Tanev's on your line, he's going to open up some space for you to do some things. And if you work hard like he does, it's going to have a good result. And I think Shane's taking advantage of that. Yeah, and let's just do Brandon Tanev real quick. He's playing like Brandon Tanev. He's got that, you know, man-on-fire mm-hmm. type energy he goes out there with, and I just love it. Yep, he's a joy to watch. I mean... If you if you see him for you know just watch him for one game you know what he's all about, um, yeah definitely becoming a, a very quick fan favorite in Seattle. I, I don't expect that to stop anytime soon. So Mason Appleton, RJ, uh, I would say he's come as advertised. You know, high energy, good stick, and you know, no idea whatsoever what position he plays. I'm pretty sure it's wing. I couldn't tell you which side of the ice because he's just on whatever side of the ice the puck is on. Um, this is something we talked about forever ago when we did our like scouting report on him like months and months ago. It's probably pre-summer. It's been so long. Uh, but that was one of the things I noticed about him, watching him in Winnipeg. He's like a four-year-old in a soccer game. You know how they just play swarm ball and they all just converge wherever the ball is, all like 10 kids, and then they follow it around? That's basically how Mason Appleton plays in the NHL. Um, So in that sense, we're getting what we expected, right? Yeah, and I will say it's difficult, especially like early on in training camp when you're trying to figure out the line combos. And Appleton has experience playing at both wing and center. And then you've got like Wenberg taking leave and Appleton going on his line. And like, 
you know, where the heck does that, you know, does that leave you? So yes, I mean, your observation from our like pre-expansion draft scouting reports has still held true. Uh, but the other thing to notice, and this is also consistent with those scouting reports, he still loves to drive to the net. And that's one thing I've noticed more uh, in the training camp practices than in the game. But some of the defensemen, he's been the player that they've had the most trouble with because he will drive to the net even in practice and just take it wide and then cut to the middle. And it's almost a surprise that a player is like doing that uh, with such intensity in practice. Um, but I still do like to see that from him. I would like to see it more from him in games, though. Yeah, he hasn't. I don't know. It just feels like he hasn't had a ton of time with the puck in general in any of these preseason games. So I feel like we haven't really gotten to see what he can do, like what made him, you know, attractive to both of us um, for as far as the Kraken, you know, getting him. But uh, yeah, I mean, it's just at the end of the day, I mean, he's, he's always interesting when he's out there. That's for sure. And uh, the mixture of him with Tanev is, is just really something to watch. Mm-hmm. All right. Uh, now, someone else, we talked about him uh, a little bit back uh, on our video earlier this week. Um, Nathan Bastion, looking like a beast of a four-checker, man. I mean, he just goes in there super aggressive. He'll take, he'll take contact. He invites it. He wants it. I don't know. I've been super impressed with him. And then he hasn't been that bad, you know, offensively as far as creating opportunities. Yeah, he's fit in really well with the energy line with Shan and Tanev. Uh, and this is kind of where we projected him, right, as far as what he can do. We saw with New Jersey that he was a good four checker. He was going to bring size. Uh, and he's done that. But, uh, you know, even better than than what I thought he was going to do. Plus, in the defensive zone, he blocks a lot of shots. He's not afraid to get out in front of the puck, get in lanes. Um, I'd like to see him a little bit better breaking the puck out of his own zone. Uh, that was one thing in Everett where I noticed they were had a few long shifts because he kind of missed a pass out of the zone or it went for icing. Um, but th- there's no shortage to compete with him. Yeah, and you know he's another one to watch when Colin Blackwell comes back. You know, is where is he going to line in? Because I think at this point he's made the roster. I would I would think um, the other guy who, you know, I think has played a lot like Nathan Bastian. And, you know, I said I, I kind of liked him a little bit more is Cole Lind, who's really surprised me so far through this uh, you know camp and preseason. Just the energy he brings, how physical he's playing. I really like his off puck stuff um, as far as what he's doing in the uh, like neutral zone and in the offensive zone when he's playing away from the puck. It's it's pretty good, uh, pretty solid. He, he manages to get open a lot while also you know creating problems for the defense. Uh, I I just think Bastion's probably got the edge on him just from an experience standpoint and just because you know Colin can be sent down at Charlotte without having to go through waivers. Actually, I want to. I want to correct. I gave you some some wrong information last time on the video. We talked about it. Uh, Lind is actually not waivers exempt. Right, but isn't he considered on the the AHL roster? Like it's that whole weird thing where like you can have some. Oh, that's guys... right. Cap friendly has him down there. I. I am. We need to look at. We need to get an answer on this. Like once and for all. Because that was the confusing thing with with Kale Flurry too. Mm-hmm. But he did have to go through waivers as yeah, he just but he did yesterday. So. All right then. I mean, do you think that changes things for Lind? Like he can't, I don't, I don't see where a spot exists for him. I don't either. I don't think he's in these, you know, top four lines. And yet I don't know that he's that, that one forward that you're going to want to keep as, you know, as like a 13th forward. Um, 
I think he might be someone that they do end up having to waive, even if they'd rather not do it. And I agree with you on on the assessment of of Bastion, you know, being you know definitely the guy that would be in the lineup now. I think uh, certainly he's the better player right now. Lind, of course, is a good you know is younger, and I think he's just a little bit more immature as a player at decision making with the puck and whatnot. And not a knock on him, but I just think Bastion, with more experience, is is the guy who's going to get the nod. So it'd be interesting to see if a team would want to claim him on waivers. Yeah, I mean, if I was an NHL team, I'd take I'd take the flyer on him, especially because he was a point per game guy in the AHL last year. Like he does have offensive skill; he can he can bring that to the table. In addition to all of the you know forechecking and stuff that he's done, um, Alexander True, RJ, what have you thought of him so far? Yeah, True, the former uh, Seattle Thunderbird, and it was great. Real quick, it was just great to see him. Uh, in Kent uh, playing that game uh, yesterday. I mean, that was that was just cool to see, you know, all the fans of the true chant, you know, they loved having him there. Uh, and it was great they put him in the starting lineup. Um, so that, that was a nice touch from the Kraken. I think true is one of those guys that's uh, just going to need some more time in the, in the AHL. You know, I, I liked what I saw from him with the Sharks last season, but he hasn't done anything to, um, to really stand out to me. He's, I would like to see him use his size more. And that's one issue I had with him with the Sharks is, um, you know, use that big body you have. He's used it a little bit, but I think there's some situations where he could be a little more physical uh, where he needs to be. They had him on net front in the power play for one game. Uh, and I thought he was all right there, but I think it might've been that, that six, nothing Oilers game. I forget which game that was exactly, but um, yeah, I think he's another player who could, who could use a little bit more time. What do you think? Yeah, I think he, you know, He's definitely going to be in the AHL this year. I kind of thought he was a little bit, you know, like I was saying with Don Squay, where he never quite seemed to fit in with whoever he was playing with. Like he was, it was more like True was out there doing his thing, and then his, you know, his wingers were doing their thing. And I just never felt like he gelled with anybody um, from, you know, like a chemistry standpoint, or even just from like a, you know, I, I don't know. Uh, he he it was like at times he was the high energy one and other times he wasn't the high energy one and i i just couldn't quite figure out what what exactly was going on with him game to game i don't know if that was something the coaching staff was was telling him to do or if if he was just trying to figure it out but it it, it was he was just never cohesive with this lineup um yep. carson torwinski he's been fine <laughs> right yeah he that's you know, I think you said it all right there. He's been fine. Um, he hasn't stood out to me as, as making any huge mistakes, uh, but he hasn't really stood out as doing anything uh, overly positive either. I mean, you know, I should give him a shout out though. First fight of the preseason though, uh, it was I, I think it was Luke Henman. It was the Everett game where Luke Henman uh, took a cross check to the back by the boards, and you know I I didn't like the hit, and and Torinsky didn't either, and he went and stood up for his teammates. So there is something to be said for that. Yeah, and, you know, really, he's been kind of like, you know, for this lineup, he's been the poor man's Nathan Bastion or, uh, you know, Cole Lind. Like, he, he's kind of been doing that same thing at times. He goes in and he throws his body around. He's trying to to make things happen in the offensive zone, um, you know, try to disrupt the other team and stuff. He's just not quite on the level of those two other guys. So, you know, it, I just... Again, it's just it's we're at this point where it's just there's not enough spots for everybody. Uh, last but certainly not least, RJ is Luke Henman. 
Uh, yes. So, of course, he was the first ever player in Kraken franchise history. Came into this camp, and, you know, I've been pretty impressed with him. I have, too. I, I like what I've seen. Uh, there's There's kind of a maturity to his game, you know, for someone so young, and there's the confidence. I, I mentioned this in the earlier podcast where he would try these, uh, you know, these stick handling moves around guys like Mark Giordano and uh, do those things in training camp. And I think it was the Calgary game. It was either the first Calgary or first Edmonton game where he made a nice between the legs pass uh, to a teammate on a breakout where he's still willing to try these things in games. It's not just practice. And I like to see the confidence from him. Uh I think he still needs a little bit of time in the AHL. I mean, you know, he's someone who's, you know, only played in junior so far, so you wouldn't expect him to make the roster out of camp. But I think he's someone definitely to keep an eye on. And uh, when he was asked about, you know, what his goals are, I mean, one of the things he just kept talking about, bulking up, bulking up, I need to bulk up. Uh, and that's something that, that's kind of been, you know, he's been told to do for a while since his, he was drafted. Um, but it sounds like he's finally being able to kind of put on some weight, put on some muscle, and I think that's going to be key to uh, being ready for the next level. Yeah, you brought up two of the three things I have here for him. The confidence he's been playing with, which is great to see. And then, yeah, you know, he needs to work on, in my opinion, two things. Number one is get bigger. Get him on that Ryan Nugent Hopkins diet. You know, 20,000 <laughs> calories a day. Let's go. Uh, and two, he needs to, in my opinion, work on his back checking more. Um, he showed, you know, like you said, some good flashes offensively. Um, but I think you know, just the biggest thing holding him back apart from his size is that he's just, when he's out there and he's the center, it just feels like the Kraken are being beat out from a, a puck possession standpoint. It just feels like they're having to play in their own zone a lot more than they are offensively. And I think, you know, he's got good reach and he's, and he's smart and creative. And I think if he can apply that to working in his own zone where he can maybe, you know, force turnovers or get a steal or something like that, and then, you know, work on breakout stuff, I think that could be really the thing that takes his game to that next level where all of a sudden you're talking about, you know, a true NHL caliber player. Um, but that is it, RJ. We we did it. We got through it. We everybody. did. We got through all the players, except for the uh, the PTO guys, but all the players who, you know, were playing games, we went through. Yeah. Although, actually, I think we did miss someone. Oh? We got to talk about Yanni Gord. Yes. Well, why don't you start with that? Because you've been uh, at training camp, you know. Yeah, around. I just, I, yeah, I do want to provide an update on Yanni Gord. Obviously, he hasn't played any of the preseason games, uh, but he has been there at training camp, and he is just such a joy to watch. I know I've said this before, but I really <laughs> want to, you know, hammer this point home. Like, if you've been to any of the training camp morning seats, anything where Yanni Gord has been out there uh, in that red no contact jersey, he has the most energy of anyone on the ice. He's got a smile all the time. Uh, he's, he's just buzzing out there too. He's not afraid to take slap shots. He's, you know, working with the shoulder. I mean, you know, I wouldn't be surprised if he was, you know, well ahead of the timeline uh, for the injury. And um, I, I tweeted out a little video from a drill where it was a two on one drill and he was playing defense and he went and just sprawled down on the ice to try and stop a pass across. Um, and then he, he went and did it right after I stopped the video too. They did another two on one. He did the same thing. So, um, he always puts on a show and he's having a great time out there and I, I just can't wait for the Kraken to get him back. Yeah, no. And it's, it's good to know that he's obviously feeling well, you know, cause I think that bodes well for him returning, uh, sooner rather than later. 
And, you know, his return is going to be really interesting as far as this lineup. I think right now, you know, he would push Morgan Geeky to be like the fourth center. And I think Morgan Geeky's shown through this preseason, he'd be one of the better fourth centers in this league, if not, you know, the best at times. I know it's not a super high bar to clear fourth fourth centers, but, uh, you know, as as we've been going through here and talking about these guys, they just have such an embarrassment of riches at so many spots. And and then yeah, getting back Yanni Gordon, Colin Blackwell from injuries just adds to it, and it's it's exciting. Absolutely. Uh, but that's going to do it for us. This podcast has been long enough. Um, <laughs> you know, as always, thanks for listening. Uh, if you're watching this on YouTube, make sure to like the video and leave a comment if you can. And otherwise. We will see you next time.